Good morning, men. Boy, it is a blessing, isn't it, to come together as God's... If you guys are going to sit that far back, let's do one of these. What's that? Come together as God's men uh, and worship Him. Spend some time around the Word together. Um, The men's ministry team asked if I would um, speak this morning on biblical fatherhood and family leadership. Biblical fatherhood and family leadership. And I'm, I'm glad to do that. With this caveat, um, I'm still learning, all right? I, I am not the, the father uh, that I hope to be one day. I'm not the grandfather that I hope to be one day. And I'm not the leader in my home yet that I hope to be one day. And so like you, my desire is just to turn to the scriptures now and trust the Holy Spirit to convey to our hearts Uh, What is fatherhood by God's measure? Uh, What does it mean to be a leader in the home by God's measure? Okay, so let's just grab our Bibles. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians 2, and uh, maybe cue up your your tablet if you don't have a Bible with you. We're going to spend some time in this wonderful passage, Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. Remember, all the T's are together, right? So if you, if you see a Timothy or a Titus, you're close. The Thessalonian letters are at the beginning. Reading, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 2. You there? Okay. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor is it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted And charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Now, what in the world does that have to do with us as God's men? I want you to notice with me that Paul is writing here to the infant church in Thessalonica, a church that he had founded or fathered, if you will, Uh, by God's grace. And you noticed probably as we read that together that Paul uses analogies that are drawn from family relationships, doesn't he? 
In verse 7, he says, We were gentle among you as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. And, and then in verse 11, We exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. Paul was not the biological father of these folks, but he was their spiritual father, as was Silas and Timothy, his partners in ministry. And so his labors in the church he equates to parenting. What, what parents do in the leading of a household. So I want to encourage us this morning with, with, with that one coin about fatherhood, but with two sides. Raise your hand if you're a dad or have had a dad. That's, that, sh- that should be everybody, right? Keep it up if you're a granddad. How about great-granddads? Can we keep going? Great-great-granddads. Oh, okay. You get the idea. So the, the, the application to our own family relationships, I trust, will be very obvious from this passage. Uh, but, but let me just challenge us with this. All of us who are in Christ this morning are meant to be spiritual fathers. Did you know that? We ought to have another man or some men in our lives for whom we are serving as spiritual fathers by the grace of God. I'm not talking about a peer group. That's important. I'm talking about relationships where you and I are deliberately mentoring other men. This is God's design for his family. And and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I am going to ask you this morning, is that true of you? Do you have a relationship that you can think of in your life where you are functioning as a spiritual mentor to another man or perhaps a group of men. And as you think of that person, you think of those people uh, who look to your leadership as an example, your spiritual leadership. You might just ask yourself this, as they follow me, do they end up closer to Jesus? That's what Paul's talking about. As that son or daughter follows me, do they end up any closer to Christ or that grandson or granddaughter? You get the idea. What about that other man in the church? Hasn't been walking with Jesus as long as you have. If he follows you, does he end up closer to the Lord? So in in this passage, God uh, uses the Apostle Paul to set before us some, some, from, some basic, I think, but very profound principles for biblical fatherhood, whether it's with respect to your own kids or grandkids or whether it's in the church family, in the family of God. And I notice, uh, at least I did, in verse 1, the first principle shows up right away. He says, for you yourselves know. Well, what's he talking about? He's saying, I'm going to appeal to you guys based on what you've actually experienced with me in real life, not simply the words that I have preached to you. You see the difference? His credibility as a spiritual father is rooted in who he is as a person, not simply what he says. His observed conduct, his manner of living, not merely his role or, or title as their pastor, as their spiritual father in this case. Dads, um, please hear this. Your title of dad 
carries a lot less weight than your example as dad. Grandpa, that's true for you too, right? So Paul keeps reminding these folks of his example. Look at verse 5. As you know, and then verse 9, for you remember, brethren, he's asking them, inviting them even, look at the example of my life. He's not boasting. He's just saying, hey, by God's grace, I've been able to live in such a way that if you follow me, you end up closer to Jesus. Who I am either affirms or discredits what I teach. How many of you know that's true in your home? That's true in your home, whether it's your marriage or your relationship with your children, your grandkids, your great-grandkids. Who I am either affirms or discredits what I teach. Your kids learn a lot more by what they experience with you than what you say to them once or twice a week about Jesus. Okay. So my son, Jacob, without even knowing it, taught me all about this when he was a toddler. When Pam and I first had kids, um, I was not walking with the Lord, to my shame. I, I was just, the Lord was just bringing me out of a long period of, in my life of declension. I would call it a prodigal season. And um, one of the things the Lord did to pull me out of that prodigal season, I'm not super proud of. Sarah, our youngest, had just been born, and my mother-in-law came to visit. That's not the point of this story, but um, there's a joke there somewhere, isn't there? But mother-in-law came to visit and help with the kids, and, and so she took our oldest, Jacob, to the stories. He's, I don't know, two, three years old, and uh, they're gone for about an hour or so. Pam and I stayed home with the baby, and... Uh, she came back with little Jacob and some groceries, and she, she was just so excited to tell us this story. She said, your son just did the cutest thing. I, I just have to tell you this. She says, I, I'm just, I got him in the cart, and I'm, I'm just going down the aisles, and, and, and we got to the beverage aisle, and we, we got to the beer aisle, and, and your little boy saw all that beer, and he said, Daddy. And the thing of it is, is he wasn't a wordsmith at the time. It's not like he had a huge vocabulary. But I had taught him by example to associate a bunch of beer cans with his father. And I got to tell you guys, that just killed me. I mean, it's, it, it's, I guess you can laugh at it. It wasn't very funny at the time. And that was one of the many things the Lord did to show me this simple but profound reality that who you are uh, is far more important than the words you might choose to say. Are you with me? And so if we want to be the right guy and not just sound like the right guy or look like the right guy on a Sunday morning or on a Saturday morning, as it were, what, what are we supposed to do? Well, uh, notice with me that Paul is speaking of the way he functioned as a spiritual father. He's talking about his stewardship of the people of Thessalonica as their spiritual father. And, and that's something we might need to write down. I, I am to embrace my stewardship as a father. How many of you know it doesn't take a whole lot of effort to become a dad? Let's just leave that there, okay? But to be a dad, 
To be a father or a grandfather, uh, by God's measure, is a, is a totally different ball game. It, it isn't something that you just sort of fall into. It's a stewardship that you and I are meant to embrace. We're, by God's design, we are meant to embrace this stewardship of fatherhood, whether it's in our own homes or whether it's in the church family. That's why I asked us about the relationships that we have with other men in this church family. Do you realize that you're not a lone player in the family of God? You're a guy that other guys are meant to follow and end up closer to Jesus. And that's a stewardship that God has given to us, Paul says. Look at verse 4. We have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. You see, as, as a Christian father... You have been approved by God. That's a, that's a wonderful gospel expression, isn't it? Living with the approval of God, uh, but also entrusted by God to be the, the steward, uh, the, the leader of a gospel-centered home. Leadership in your home is not a, a right to demand from your wife. It, 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 it's not a, a, a right to impose on your children. It's a, it's a stewardship from God to embrace. Are you with me? I'm accountable to God for my fatherhood. And so are you. I, I'm accountable to God for my grandfatherhood, if you will. And certainly I'm accountable to God, says Paul for whether or not you all could follow me on a day, not a Sunday, and still end up closer to Jesus. So the issue is never, well, what, what does my wife think of my leadership? What do the kids think of my leadership? What, do, what does the world say about the way I lead my family? The issue is always, well, what does God think of it? Well, what's God's measure of what's going on in this home or in this church family, the relationships in this church family, do you realize that you are a steward of the gospel in your home? Those of you who are granddads and great-granddads, you're stewards of the gospel in those relationships with the children. It's good that you get to hand them back when they've got dirty diapers now. I do that when I play that card too. But don't hand back the responsibility, the stewardship of representing Jesus Christ, speaking of his gospel in a language those little ones can apprehend. We'll come back to that. Look at verse 7. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. What an incredibly strange analogy. Because here is Paul, a pastor a guy, uh, a strong guy at that. Uh, he just got done explaining that he and his companions were bold, that they had suffered because of their boldness. They had sick, thick skin uh, when they were spitefully treated. They didn't shrink back like a bunch of weenies. And, and, and to the Corinthians, you guys know this, to the Corinthians, Paul said what? Man, I've been beaten three times with rods. Uh, people threw rocks at me and left me for dead shipwrecked three times. He was floating in the sea for hours. 
In journeys often, in perils of water, perils of robbers, you get the idea. Weariness and toil, in sleeplessness, often in hunger and thirst, cold and nakedness. My point is, Paul was a tough guy. He wasn't a wimp. He was a man's man. Or maybe I should say he was God's man. Not a wimp or a weakling. So, so how is a strong father, a strong leader also gentle, sensitive, and tender like a nursing mother. What in the world is he talking about? Listen, gentleness is not weakness. Gentleness is not girly. It's not effeminate. Don't think that. The Greek word uh, apeos, gentle, means kind, mild, Gentleness is strength under control, strength under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Dads, let me ask you something. Do your kids see in you a strength that is under the control of the Holy Spirit so that as God's man in that home, you are kind and mild even in the frantic pace and hectic pace and crazy pace of everyday life? Is, is your strength under control so that you can be that dependable anchor in the home? That, that safe place where that son or that daughter or those grandkids can run. Even in the, the considerable tension of real life. You say as opposed to what? Well, as opposed to being harsh and cold and overbearing. A true gentleness is never weak. Heroes and martyrs are made of this material called biblical gentleness. Strength under the control of the Holy Spirit. Think of the Lord Jesus, the strongest man who has ever lived. His gentleness was such that he could say to those who were coming to arrest him in Gethsemane, I am he. And they fell down as dead, as if dead, right? This is not to do with weakness. This is about to do with the spirit-controlled life. And look what we're meant to do with this strength under control, this gentleness. Still in verse 7, we were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. This continues to be weird to speak this way at a men's breakfast. But what is Paul talking about? Nursing mothers. Well, what do they do? They feed their children. Dad, do you realize that you are responsible to feed your children the word of God in your home? That, that you're the one in the home by God's design that is, has primary responsibility to instruct those kids in the ways of God? I am, I am learning what that looks like as a, as a grandparent, hoping to, um, you know, being a grandparent is kind of like a mulligan in golf, isn't it? You, you get another swing at it. And, and I, I, I'm sure I'm not the only grandfather in this room who's thinking, man, there, you know, there are some things I would do differently in this area. <laughs> what are you laughing about? Because <laughs> it's, it's a long list. It's a long list, right? We're still growing. It's not enough for those kids to see you carry a Bible into this building. 
Did you know that? It's not enough for those kids to see you read that Bible privately alone at home. That's a good thing. Those are both good things. But that is not feeding your children. And that's not feeding our grandchildren. Both of those things are passive when it comes to parenting. And fathers are called to be active, deliberate, consistent in feeding the younger generation the word of God. And I, w- I wish I had done better at this as a dad, and, I, and I'm trying to do a little bit better as a granddad. A quick example, I'm paying more attention to the little books that we read just for kicks at home, you know? I mean, you keep the... Uh, Go Dog Go and Cat in the Hat and all of that. I mean, that's quality stuff, right? But why not add books that are going to steer our children toward the things of God, the ways of God? I I shared this on a Sunday morning not too long ago, but I've been reading to our grandkids this little kid version of Pilgrim's Progress. And there are a lot of them out there. The one we're using is called Little Pilgrim's Big Journey. And I cannot tell you the thrill that comes to your heart when your kids start, at, your grandkids start asking you about, you know, where, where does Jesus live? Where is the celestial city? Who is Apollyon? You know, th- these sorts of things uh, don't come up unless we're deliberate by God's grace in feeding our children. And, you know, we're meant to be active in this. Um, and I believe... This is just opinion, but it's based on experience. The very best instruction will be relational, not just formal. How many of you know that's true in the church context as well? Of course we need formal teaching. That is a, a foundational thing for us as a fellowship. But we also need this relational mentoring, this, this disciple-making to occur among us as men. You still listening? Here's a passage that we read every time we dedicate children here, which is really a way of dedicating parents, isn't it? Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And so there's this relational instructing that is happening in families that are gospel-centered. There's this relational instruction, not just formal instruction, but relational instruction that is happening in God's family, His church, when we are making disciples. That's why I keep asking you to think about the relationships you have with God's people here. You'll get right back to them. We're, at, we're almost done. Okay. Let me give you a quick illustration. Are you in a hurry? No. Um, last fall, um, my son got his deer, and um, he... He calls me on a Sunday night when I'm just full of energy and, and says, uh, hey, will you help me drag this deer? I, I got this deer, and it's getting dark, and it's, it's, it's like go time, right? I need help. So went out there and dragged this poor deer back to his truck, took it to his house, 
And then the next, uh, the next night, uh, he's got it, you know, just laying there. And so he invites, uh, invites me over, invites my dad over, and uh, we're going we're gonna to take care of business with this deer, right? And uh, so we, we hung it up and got, got the, 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 the skin off it, the cape off it. And uh, his children were there in the garage just watching this whole thing. And um, I didn't know how that was going to go. Six and four, that could go a lot of different directions, am I right? And, um, and, and Rosie and Peter, they're, they're asking, you know, the big questions like, how, how come its tongue is sticking out? And how come, can we name it? You know, <laughs> why not? Why not? Um, why is it white? You know, it was a healthy deer, had a lot of fat on it. Why, why is it all white? Um, and then, um, so I'm, I'm, the, I'm the grandpa, right? I know this question is coming. My son does not know it's coming. Um, why'd you kill it? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? How are you going to answer that? And I can't tell you how much it delighted my heart to hear my son very tenderly say to his kids straight up, you know what? The Lord made deer, God made deer, and he gave them to us because they're beautiful to look at and enjoy, and he gave them to us for food. He said it better than I am. And I just thought, you know what? That's Deuteronomy 6. And you and I are meant to do that in our homes. You and I are meant to be the kind of men who could do that in the lives of some of the little ones in this church if the Lord allows us to have those kinds of relationships. Does that make sense? Yeah. The very best instruction will be relational, not merely formal. Let's look at verse 8. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. Now, let me just say something to the older guys. And you decide for yourselves what an older guy is. That's your business, right? For me, it's a guy older than me, all right? So for, for those of us who are older guys, let me, let me just ask you something. Um, are you available to impart your gospel-centered life to a younger brother in this church? I mean, all the stuff you got going on, there's a lot. Are you available for that? I mean, is this the kind of group where those kinds of relationships would be even more common than they are now? They are common by God's grace, but we need more of them. Is there a younger man in your life for whom you serve as a spiritual father relationally? And yes, you invite him fishing and hunting and hiking and drinking coffee and all of that stuff, but the real deliberate purpose in your heart is to help that young man grow up in Jesus. And if you've already got a relationship or two like that, let me just thank you. Because this church needs that. This church benefits from that. But let me, but let me just say this. Um, if, if you don't, why don't you? Would, would we trust God to give us grace to stop living as if we're done being a role model or a spiritual mentor just because our kids have left the home? 
There's always a danger of these things being practical, right? Listen, those of us with no kids at home, that's me, it's great that we like to get together with our peers and talk about politics and now it's baseball, right? Um, that, that sort of thing. We, we should keep doing that stuff. Those are, those are good things to do. But, but let's just ask ourselves, who are we living life with relationally so that they can follow you and in following you end up closer to Jesus? Simple, simple as that. It won't just happen. We're going to have to be deliberate about it. Now, let me just mention here, we have two men's groups that meet, um, one on Thursday, one on Saturday. We need more men's groups. But the men's groups themselves are not the relationships. They are on-ramps for those relationships. In other words, those are the envi- that's the environment where these kinds of disciple-making relationships take place. So I urge us as God's men to consider that. Paul told Titus this. He says, Titus, teach that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. (laughs) Why? Why why did he want Titus to to, to teach the, the older men that? Because the older men are supposed to be exhorting the younger men to do what? To be sober-minded. In all things, showing yourselves to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. How do young guys learn what that... How, how, how do young guys learn what it is to live that kind of life by following guys that aren't quite as young in the Lord, right? This is life in God's family. Now, let me just say to some of us, you you are not meant to be those who just take in spiritual content on a Sunday or a Saturday or or watch the John MacArthur videos or the, the Sproul videos at home by yourself. That, those are good things to do. But it's not helping others if it's not shared with others. And it may not even be helping you as much as you think if it's not spilling out into the lives of other people. Are we good with that? Okay. In God's family, older men move toward younger men to be spiritual fathers. That's the normal thing in the life of a church. In God's family, younger men recognize their need to be mentored by spiritual fathers. That's the the normal thing in God's family. It's not extra credit. It's just the way the church is designed by our gracious God. I want you to notice with me in this passage, looking at verses 10 and 11, Paul keeps saying to these people, Yes, listen to my instruction, but you listened to our lives when we were with you. The proof is in the pudding, isn't it? You are witnesses, and God also, verse 10, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe, as you know how we exhorted 
and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. His walk, by God's grace, matched his talk. There was a real, consistent, practical godliness that Paul is pointing to in, in his own life, in Timothy's life, in Silas's life, as those who uh, fathered, if you will, this infant church in Thessalonica. His spiritual kids saw that. They experienced that. It wasn't just a sermon that they heard. And, and let me just say, do you guys mind being encouraged for a minute? Then we'll get back to the other stuff. It makes my heart so glad to see some of our boys with us today. This is what we're talking about. It makes my heart so glad to see a lot of not just fathers but grandfathers here today. And they've got a friend with them. This is what we're talking about, isn't it? Dads were meant to aim for real, consistent, practical godliness in our daily lives. It's a work of grace. We, we don't do this ourselves. But man, let's pray for that. Real, consistent, practical godliness in our daily lives. How many of you know a godly influence day after day is a far better teacher than a godly word once or twice a month, once or twice a week with the kids, the grandkids. What do, you, what do you suppose it means to live with real, consistent, practical godliness? Look, look at, just look at the adverbs in verse 10. Remember eighth grade grammar? Some of you guys remember the adverbs? How devoutly we behaved ourselves. Paul's talking about true devotion to God. Not feigned, pretended, true devotion to God. So that child, that grandchild knows that this, that this isn't a show. This isn't about appearances. This isn't a cultural thing because we live next to a church or something like that. We love Jesus. By God's grace, we love our Heavenly Father. By His grace, we walk in the Spirit. That's true devotion to God. Then he says, how justly we behave. In other words, there's real obedience to the word of God. How many of you know, we dads, we need to live the kind of lives that our kids can see that we don't just say we believe this stuff. We live it out. Because they hear the lifestyle much more clearly than they hear our words, don't they? And then he says, how blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you. He's talking about a consistent testimony. By God's grace, I didn't stay the dad who was only associated by his own son with beer cans. That was a work of God in my life. Praise him for that. And you know what? I learned the hard way that this consistency business is actually pretty important. I'm not talking about perfection, the trajectory of our life like that trail on the screen. 
That trail is going in the direction of Christ's likeness wherever we're at on it. How many fathers, I wonder, get frustrated and angry at their children's disobedience and disrespect. I mean, that, that's frustrating, isn't it? While at the same time, they model to those same children a lifestyle of disobedience and disrespect to our Heavenly Father. You think kids don't pick up on that? How many older men in this church, I wonder, have a lot of negative things about the next generation? Heaven help the next generation while they invest no meaningful time whatsoever with the next generation, with a gospel mindset. You think the next generation doesn't pick up on that? Look at verse 11. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. Paul is describing, remember he he spoke of gentleness. Now he's talking about assertiveness. The assertiveness that he exercised as a spiritual leader to these people. It matched his walk. How many dads here? Don't raise your hand. How many dads here have learned the hard way that your child's conscience is really not that attentive to your exhortation or your comfort or your charging if you've got no credibility? It just doesn't really resonate with them. Why would they respect mom if you don't respect her yourself? You're always talking negatively about mom, sometimes around the kids. Oh, but kids, honor your father and mother. You see the disconnect? Why would they take your charge to do all things as unto the Lord if they hear day after day dad complaining about his job? He doesn't see it as a gift from the Lord, an assignment from the Lord. It's just something to complain about. Why would they love the church? When they hear dad eat the church for lunch on the way home every Sunday. Guys, how can you warn them away from pornography when you're hooked on it yourself? It was because of Paul's steady example, he says, that he could credibly exhort and comfort and charge these Thessalonian believers. Fatherhood then demands, I'm just going to call it sanctified assertiveness. I mean, as opposed to being bold and assertive in the home without the mindset of Christ, there is a sanctified assertiveness, a deliberateness, if you will, in what Paul is speaking of. Exhorting and charging. That's man stuff, isn't it? That's father stuff. It requires a deliberate spiritual mindedness in our actions. Let me just, um, before we close, tell you that this intersection of gentleness and assertiveness 
seems to take a lifetime to learn because I haven't learned it yet. I'm a work in progress. And I'm guessing some of you guys are yet works in progress. How can God's man in the home, let alone God's man in the church, be gentle and yet assertive in a sanctified way? Well, the thing that makes that happen is love. The love of God poured out into the hearts of his men enables us to lead our families this way. Enables us to lead in this church family that way. A love that's without self-interest. A love that's other-focused. A love that's not easily offended. How many new churches get started because God's people are easily offended? My little girl taught me about this selfless love business when she was, I don't know, the same, same age as Jacob when he, when he discovered the beer aisle. Um, I remember taking her fishing, and I had ignored the wise counsel of other men who had told me, look, you can go fishing, or you can take a child fishing. You can't do the same thing. At, you can't do that at the same time. You, you're going to have to pick. One or the other, right? Ah, come on. So off we go. Sarah and I, we're going to catch some fish. And I'll be honest with you guys, I took my daughter fishing because I wanted to go fishing. Can you relate to that? Okay. In other words, I'm not saying I went with Sarah to go fishing because I was so full of love in my heart for little Sarah. Of course, I love her, but Dad wanted to fish. And that meant she had to come along. And so we're fishing at one of the little lakes around here. I think it was Ferdinand. And it was a weekday. And um, Sarah was, um, I think the, 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 the word would be non-cooperative. Um, she's not interested. She's like two years old, three years old, whatever. And, uh, you know, we're not catching anything until her line just went down and she got all excited and she was going to lose it so I grabbed it and we we reeled it in on her little cartoon fishing pole and it was a turtle she caught a turtle nice turtle and um, and my my first thought at that time was um, man all these guys all these guys are putting their boats in the lake and they've got all their gear and they're going fishing and 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 my first thought was just one of embarrassment if you can believe that. Aren't you glad you're not like me? I mean, I was, just, I was just kind of embarrassed by it. And Sarah is just delighted beyond words. We caught a turtle, you know. And what could be more cool than catching a turtle, right? And so, uh, and, and so she wants, Daddy, can we keep it? And I'm like, oh, Sarah, shh, you know. And uh, anyway, long story short, we, we ended up playing with that turtle uh, for a long while as the Lord taught uh, one of his guys uh, what it is to love selflessly. That's not a naturally occurring thing in me, as it turns out. And I'm guessing it's not a naturally occurring thing in you. It's the fruit of Christ working in your life, isn't it? And I can tell you now, as a guy with gray hair, I, I, I wish I had been better at 
playing with the turtles with my kids. I get another shot at it with the grandkids. Not really caring what people think. I want to be the kind of guy that loves selflessly. And I want to be the kind of guy in this church family that loves selflessly. I don't just invite another guy to come along because it's something I like to do. If God puts that man in my heart, I can move toward him and speak his language because this is a gospel relationship. It's not just about the activity. Does that make sense? Okay. Let's just, let's just end with verse 12 since it's the last one. What's the goal of it all? Paul says that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. That, that's the highest goal of any father, isn't it? I mean, that, that, that's the highest goal of any grandfather, that you would walk worthy of God. <laughs> a, a, a godly father's supreme desire. That's why he's exerting himself in this way. So you want to see that child? Walk closely with Jesus. John the Apostle puts it this way. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. I want to end this carefully, though, because there's an awkwardness to that, isn't there? Because there are some dads in this room who have a testimony by God's grace of living the way the Apostle Paul describes. And so we don't want to leave out the fact that Paul says, look, my, my goal is that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. At the end of the day, guys, God gives us grace to do our part, but it will be a work of God, won't it? To bring that child to Christ. It'll be a work of God, just as it is in us, it will be a work of God to grow up that young man or that young woman who is your child into Christ-likeness. And so we're always praying that direction, aren't we? You pray for your kids and grandkids that way? Lord, make them more like Jesus. Show me what it looks like to be a part of that. Show me what it looks like not to get in the way of that. And at the end of the day, men, it's a work of God that brings other men in our lives whom we're mentoring to spiritual maturity. We don't do that. That's not a power that we have. It's a work of grace that we can live out an example. But at the end of the day, it will be a mighty work of God that brings another man to faith in Christ and a mighty work of God that brings another man farther along in maturing in Christ. Amen? All right, that's it. Let's, let's pray. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have graciously brought us into your family. Oh, what manner of love the Father has given to us that we would be called his children. And Lord, I pray for every dad and granddad and great-granddad in this room. 
Lord, that you might, by your Spirit, bring to mind what you've taught us this day, that we might be a little bit sharper as your gospel instruments in our families. And Lord, I pray for every man in Christ among us. Would you give us a heart for our brothers? Lord, train us not to just retreat into ourselves, but to be moving in the direction of other men for the purpose of growing up in Christ together. We ask you this, Lord, so that you would be glorified through your church. And we ask it, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Is that it? We're done? Okay. Thanks, guys.